Welcome to the EuroCU podcast, Pastimes, Talking and Teaching History. My name is Andreas Holtberger and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be going global and speak with Marge Brown, a history teacher and activist from South Africa. Now, I'll let Marge introduce herself in a second, but before we attack her with all our questions, I'll do my usual quick uh, introduction. Because our podcast is just one of many ways in which EuroCleo reaches out to history educators. So please find us online on all social media and join us in person for one of our upcoming seminars or conferences. So welcome, Marge. Could you please tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? Thanks, Andreas. I'm a South African history teacher by profession and have been teaching history in the formal brick-and-mortar schools for many years during apartheid and post-apartheid, but also took quite a break from teaching to become an anti-apartheid activist for about 15 years. And now I'm teaching at an online school aimed at lower income children in South Africa. Great. And you're also president of an association in South Africa, right? Um, That's correct. I'm the president of the South African Society for History Teaching. And that is history teaching within schools, as well as lecturers in education faculties at universities who look at um, history of education methodology. And this association, was it something that was set up after apartheid or what's the backstory to that association? So it was actually set up during apartheid by concerned educators who felt that history at that stage was very much propaganda and that the history of South Africa was the history of white Afrikaner supremacy. And so it was an attempt to collect and share other aspects of history in South Africa. I can imagine there might have been some backlash when this was set up at the time, or how how was the political climate when you did that? The interesting thing is that when it was set up, it was set up um, at a university level. And Mm -hmm. so it was very difficult for the government in terms of academic freedom at universities to really prescribe what the organisation did. And I can't really say it was very progressive. It was liberal at Mm. best when it started. And it really grew out of some fairly mainstream liberal ideas of um, multi-perspectivity. Nothing really very radical. And so even the organisation itself has transformed and evolved in its membership Mm. and its vision. Yeah. How many members and what, what do you do now, actually? In the... It's difficult to say how many members there are because um, we've tried to overhaul our membership base at the moment. But I would say, from a teaching perspective, that we've probably got, loosely speaking, 500 people as teachers and lecturers who follow the organisation. And that's growing. And what happens is, because we have an annual conference that travels around different areas of South Africa. Um, We tend to get people attending the conference that are history teachers in that area. So the conference has a different flavour every single year and a different attendance list Mm. because of accessing the conference. Whereas during COVID, 
it was online and we had a bigger attendance because people then did not need to travel. So I wanted to ask you more, it's like as a, as a history teacher now in South Africa, what are the main challenges that you are facing in your daily work? So to give it some perspective, going from that one line of propaganda apartheid history, post-1994 when democracy was achieved, there was a complete overhaul of the history syllabus. And it was done by mainly anti-apartheid activists who were also in the history fraternity. And textbooks came out that really showed a multi-perspectivity of sources. I think a lot of research was done around best practice of history curriculum around the world. And it was a new dawn. Um, yeah. It was the honeymoon era. And we produced a syllabus that is so exciting. It has South African history, African history, European history, American history. It's a world history um, looking at the different forces that impacted on our country and our continent. Everything from slavery to the Cold War, colonization, and then neocolonialism. And I, I do say with pride that I think our history syllabus includes probably more black American history than is taught in most states in America, mm -hmm. because there was such a strong linkage between the struggle on, for civil rights in America and the struggle for freedom in South Africa. So it is a very rich syllabus, and the sources are fabulous. However, at the moment, it is currently being re-evaluated because our current government is of the opinion that we need a history that is going to foster social cohesion. Now, for me, history needs to foster debate. And as soon as I hear the word social cohesion, I know that there's potentially, again, who decides on what creates social cohesion and who decides on what history and through whose lens. So there's been a lot of response to the ministerial task team from the organization that I head, Sashti, and from many history teachers and university lecturers about the fact that um, social cohesion is a good thing, we live in a very fractured society, but this must not be at the expense of debate and multi-perspectivity. I do know that there's a feeling amongst black history professors that it could have that the history textbooks were created by a non-racial group of historians that may have lacked a particularly black consciousness perspective. Mm -hmm. They also feel, and and in this instance, I would really support their their view that we need to look at a regional Southern African history pre-colonial boundaries. Mm -hmm. So they really want to foster a, a sense of pan-Africanism that crosses current day borders, which are colonial borders, because we do face a problem of xenophobia in South Africa towards other African groups. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that the aim is to, to really have a, more of a sense of pan-Africanism and therefore understanding of our continent which I'm fully in support of. And another thing that the Ministerial Task Team wants to emphasise, which I think is critical, is there needs to be more historiography. 
mm-hmm. within the syllabus and to create a greater sense of critical thinking about the different interpretations of historical eras. Great. I want to pick up on what you talked about, about the regionalization, because obviously uh, for the context for our listeners, you're also here with us in in The Hague now. You're, we're speaking in, in, in person, not by Zoom all the way to South Africa. So you're here and you're here for a reason, because we, we brought together people from really different parts of the world, from, from several different continents to talk together. But before going to that, I wanted to, because South Africa is just such an interesting case as well, I wanted to ask one more question about... Um, what happened after apartheid? Because you you mentioned how there was this new curriculum, there were new textbooks, and these were all great. But weren't the teachers though the same people who had been teaching before? What what happened there? Was there also consciousness about updating the knowledge of the teacher who was doing this? So it's a fascinating question because for some schools that were conservative, schools themselves were transitioning from being all white schools to non-racial schools. And with that, in some instances, the teacher component changed and you had um, teachers of different colours in schools. But in some instances, the the pupil base changed, the learner base changed, but not the teacher component. And you had instances of some schools stopping offering history as a subject rather than teach the new history curriculum. And it was, in a way, the more conservative... Africana schools who kind of felt we don't want to teach this other side of the anti-apartheid struggle. And so, yeah, history stopped being a subject in many, many schools. In other instances, there weren't enough history teachers that were qualified. And that also dovetailed with this emphasis on STEM Mm -hmm. and careers. Mm -hmm. In In a country where black people had been denied Um, really good professions in science and biology and so there was this thrust towards STEM let's create a black professional class of doctors and engineers and there was the sense then that history was a soft option it didn't really lead to the careers that people of color had been formally denied and it took a while before history took its rightful place because now the ministerial task team is promoting that history become a compulsory subject because they are realizing that you ignore history at your peril and that if people don't know where we've come from and develop a historical consciousness of the complexity of our current situation that we we will continue to be a fractured divided society so there's now the sense that Education's not just about careers. Education's about developing a social consciousness. Mm. And history is kind of slowly taking a place within the broader education system. Having said that, the department still has to put its money where its mouth is because educational bursaries and scholarships still tend to be for teachers who go into science, mathematics, etc. So... How do you encourage teachers to become history teachers if you're not really offering those bursaries? Yeah, I think this is a this is a challenge which is shared in across many many countries and continents indeed, which again comes back to this this idea of the fact that you are here for meeting with with colleagues that uh, are working in similar contexts but in different countries and different continents and from Eurocleo side we are also very keen to yeah expand our network to 
not just expand our network, but to learn from from colleagues um, based elsewhere. What prompted you to, to join us here in The Hague and, and have a discussion like this with, with colleagues from Brazil and from mm. India and, and here in Europe and, and the Middle East? There's so, there's so much that, that kind of led me to Euroclio. I am very involved back home in transformation. A lot of schools have transformed in terms of the colour of um, pupils, but the culture of the school is still Western. Mm-hmm. And how do you transform those schools so that every child has an equal sense of belonging and an equal voice? And so I've done a lot of work in my previous schools on transformation and discrimination and prejudice. And I took part in a Euroclio discussion around decolonization of education, mm. which is fascinating because as a, an activist myself, I was very involved with the anti-apartheid struggle. And I'm very conscious that even though you transform a curriculum, it's never fully transformed, that it's a process of you might think that you've dealt with the race issue, but have you dealt enough with women in history? Have you dealt enough with minority groups in our in our country? So decolonizing the curriculum is an ongoing factor, and it was wonderful to be part of that discussion through Euroclio. And then um, I took part in the Teaching for Belonging course recently, which was run by Euroclio and the Global Centre for Pluralism. And that again dovetailed with my current activism around transformation in South African schools. And as a result of attending that six-week course, um, I was invited to be part of the Global Alliance. And I, I think it is so important for me, if we are truly going to have um, a sense of global citizenship in a world that is increasingly becoming sectarian, people are retreating because of fear into their own little lagers and their camps and cultures, that we have to break down those barriers through dialogue, through sharing information, through developing a sense of mutual understanding, but also a sense that there are so many similarities and parallels between our struggles. I also think that it's important to see Euroclio not only wanting to hear what teachers around the world have to say, but I think part of the decolonization process is to develop an equal voice between the the global north and the global south. Mm. And if I can facilitate the voices from South Africa within that broader conversation, it's just, again, leveling the playing fields around the world. Great. Well, thank you for joining us here and, uh, and sharing your experiences from, from South Africa. You mentioned earlier also that, that you see a need now in, in South Africa to build alliances, to build bridges with colleagues in other parts of Africa, and particularly in the southern mm. parts of Africa. What do you see as the power of these kind of alliances that are being built? And, and maybe also, what's the current state of it in South Africa? Has there been... Are there initiatives? Do you meet with colleagues who are based in, I don't know, Zimbabwe or Botswana and so on? So so, um, one of my colleagues on the South African Society for History Teaching Executive is a professor from the University of Pretoria and he runs a pan-African history conference every year and um, we sometimes, when it's possible, make it back-to-back with the Sashi conference. 
so that the the teachers and professors from African universities can attend the Pan African Congress and the conference, and then also our Sashti conference. And it's led to some really interesting insights from our perspective on how much history is used as a tool for building nationalism within many countries. Whereas in South Africa, what we're proud of is that history is a tool of de- to foster debate. And for me, it was so fascinating when we had a Sashti conference that was a, a global conference where we had teachers from Eastern Europe, from New Zealand, from Estonia, Germany. And I was so surprised how many of those countries are only now starting to embrace the importance of multi-perspectivity and how many of those countries from different parts of the world Mm. also used history as a tool for nation building and national pride rather than facing the dark parts of your history in order to build an understanding of of the the fractured society that is a result of that. Well, I think this can, can lead to a nice but very difficult question for you to kind of round up our conversation here. What is your hope for the future of history education? My hope is that history education continues to be an education of contested events and that we are braving us as educators not to gloss over the contested parts of history. Because for me, the discussions with my students about historiography, about how a particular event was interpreted by a group in power in the past, and then to look at another interpretation or understanding, really does create critical thinkers and global citizens who will never take something at face value. That will always look at who has agency, what is the purpose of this document, What's the agenda behind it? And what I frequently get from students when they leave school and go out into the world is that history made them um, critical thinkers and allowed them to move across the world with confidence because they didn't leave South Africa feeling as though they were in any way subservient to countries where they, that, that may be in Europe or whatever. I think it gave them the confidence to see themselves as people who have human rights, people who have the right to contribute, who have a voice, and history empowered them. Mm. And I, I just think that that's the greatest thing we can give students. And they only become empowered when they have the information from the content and the skills of debate and interrogation. Great. Thank you so much, Marge, for for having joined us and for for sharing a bit about your work and hopes for the future and what you are doing uh, here with us today at uh, at your queue. Thank you. Pleasure. And and, and if I may say one thing at the end, I do see education as a site of activism. And I'm a social activist in many ways because I don't just teach history. I work a lot with literacy in South Africa. Mm. And I think we gloss over things like critical thinking. And for me, I can't just teach history and try and generate activism within my students to be woke and active in their current issues in society if I'm not doing the same for students who are not in my classroom because they may be in 
socially dysfunctional schools, which we have a lot of in our country, Mm. or facing literacy issues. So a lot of my work also is just working with literacy. I work with 150 schools in South Africa, building literacy, very much using the Paulo Freire method, that you create a historic consciousness or uh, consciousness about current issues such as global warming or whatever through teaching literacy. And I, I think that we cannot just be teachers within a classroom if we live in a society that is unequal. So for me, my social activism around literacy goes hand in hand with enabling students that are less well-resourced to actually get the tools of literacy in order to become the critical thinkers we want them to be and level the playing field. Thank you very much for these inspiring words. Thank you for joining us.